Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 70th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that thinks three mana rats are just fine for standard. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face to Face Games. Face to Face Games.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product, with shipping to both the US and Canada. Check out Face to Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to a pretty packed episode this evening. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, Travis, what we got going on tonight? Well, James, this week we have a show in four segments. Segment one is our top movers, where we will discuss all the cards that have jumped in price this week, and it is a long list this week. Segment two is our cards to watch. We'll t- James and I will talk about cards that we think may rise in price. Segment three is our metagame week in review. We have both GP Kobe and GP Copenhagen, which were both modern. And segment four, topic of the week, we'll talk briefly about the Hour of Devastation links. So let's start out... Segment one, top movers, our first card of what I believe is 20 is... Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but Travis, MTG Finance is dead. Card, yeah, card, right. Card, cards never go up in this hobby, and there's no money to be made. <laughs> People should just ignore well, it. it. Well, I'll tell you what. If some of our buyers, some of our listeners had these cards sitting around in volume uh, prior to this, I will be extremely impressed. <laughs> So our first card this week, not this card, other cards. Our first card is Yidris Maelstrom Wanderer um, from Commander 2016. This is obviously four-color Cascade Commander guy. Uh, same crew as Brianna Traxa and all that. Started the week at 450 up to about 850. Um, so we're just a little under a double up. Not too surprising here. You know, we saw Brianna Traxa go. Yidris was the next most likely to go. The spike wasn't quite as hard as we've seen on some of the other commanders. Uh like Brian attracts it, but I think that uh, he'll eventually get pretty close to where they're sitting given enough time. Well, this was my pick two shows ago when I said buy it at $4 and the sell target was 10. So we're getting pretty close. Yeah. Uh, a theme that we'll see repeated a few more times this week. Yep. Um, so uh, what's next? We got junk diver out of Urza's destiny and uh, the foils specifically moving from 14 to 30. So just about a double up. Um, it's very low supply foils from one of the earliest foil sets in the game uh, shows up in 2,500 EDH decks. This is the one, uh, one flyer that lets you bring an artifact back from the graveyard. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. When it dies, you return an artifact from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah. So useful in decks like Brea, right? Yes. Yep. I and mean, it really Doretti Brea, any of that type of thing. Yeah, so very old, very uh, tough to find foil, uh, not particularly surprising to see it make a move. Yeah, I have to say I am kind of tickled pink on this because I picked up a bunch of these back like Doretti-ish era and was really annoyed that they didn't move in price that much. And now I'm getting paid off and woo! (laughs) Very nice, very nice. All right, 
Our next card on the list is Crux of Fate. This is the five mana wrath back from Fate Reforged. Was destroy all dragon or non-dragon creatures, whichever you preferred. Uh, this is in response to, um, again, the dragons as part of Commander 2016. Uh, obviously you're going to choose all non-dragons and get to keep all your flying guys. Foils jumped from, uh, $3 to about $6.57. I'm looking at TCG player. The lowest right now is, um, over seven, but the market price isn't budged yet. Uh, so I don't think that, I think this will slip a little bit, but it's going to land higher than the $3 it started at. Yeah, this is my spec last week where I said it was going to hit eight. Um, clearly a bunch of us went and bought them. I have a bunch. Uh, I expect that uh, this will slide back because most of that was probably speculative activity. Um, but once the dragon deck uh, comes out in August, uh, there is going to be sudden demand. And throughout the fall and heading into the holidays, I expect people to be able to unload these near that $10 mark pretty easily. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, what you got next? Uh, so Jihad, uh, or Jihad from, uh, Arabian Nights, uh, moved from 35 to 80, uh, super old card. It's on the reserve list. Uh, this stuff's getting targeted over and over and over again. Um, if, if you're one of those guys that put together sets of this stuff in the last 10 years, you must be feeling pretty good about yourself right now because all those random cards you had to pick up that were just there to fill the binder out and make sure you hit hundred percent completion, um, they're all going to move if they haven't already, and you're going to end up with a much more valuable set than you started with. Uh, I actually feel like garbage because I sold like a nearly full Legends binder like four or five years ago. So thanks for that, James. <laughs> you, can come uh, over my, you can come over to my dad's house and see all his all his binders neatly yeah. tucked away. His retirement collection, right? <laughs> uh, next on our list this week is Stormseeker from Legends. This is the first uh so Stormseeker and jihad by the way are the only non-foil cards we've talked about so far all of them are foil almost all fo- foils this week for whatever reason um uh well i have a theory there <laughs> we're all okay talk- we're all talking about foils uh as being much easier to target um because this is a supply side game mtg finance uh increasingly so and uh, you're always looking for the spec that has the lowest possible supply. Foils are always in much lower supply, hence why foils are being targeted in greater numbers. Yeah, and harder to reprint, right? Um, exactly. But so this time, I don't remember what I started this sentence, the this thought with, but what I'm going to tell you is that Goblin Assassin the uh, from Legions, the foil copy started at a dollar and change. It's up to four. Um, I play this in my Zada deck. It's amusing. Uh, whenever it or other goblins comes into play, you flip some coins, you sacrifice some creatures. Um, there's only two, you know, five copies at five bucks on TCG. So supply is, it's probably just bought out. I suspect that this was, um, in anticipation of goblins being one of the tribal decks, uh, to be, uh, to be coming out a little later this year that we're going to, we should be getting spoilers of, well, I guess we wouldn't be getting spoilers anytime soon. Probably could be getting some more leaks soon. (laughs) Yeah, so next on the list we got Stormseeker from Legends moving from two dollars to five fifty. Uh it's up three fifty. It's been reprinted a couple of times, um, so it's not a card I would be running out to try to buy non Legends uh versions of um uh, I think it was in fourth edition if I'm not mistaken. Uh 
So, you know, this is just a random old card that's in a set that people uh, have realized is never going to be reprinted in uh, exactly the same printing method and border and so forth. And even the ones that are on the reserve list are going to get targeted uh, just because anybody who ever wants to finish one of those sets is going to find that increasingly difficult and hence the price will rise. Yep. There, right there with you. But, you know, it is near impossible to actually get rid of these things at the same time. So... Just keep that in mind, even if you do manage to score them at dirt cheap prices. Yeah, how deep, uh, you go on, how, how deep you go on any spec, we should mention, is in direct proportion to um, how easily you can offload the cards. Yeah. Um, a card might go from a $2 to $10 plateau, but if you buy a 1,000 of them and they're, you can sell one per month, you're not going to be too happy with that result. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> be a bummer. Um Okay, so next card for the week is Golgari Brown Scale. It is a common from Ravnica. Uh, started at a dollar and change. It's up to a little over three dollars. Uh, yeah, the foil jumped, you know, two hundred percent. It's a three mana two three that dredges two. I see, James, you have uh, MTGO Popper spillover written down in our in our comments here. I guess there's a handful of Popper players out there that want in paper that wanted foil copies. Yeah, well, I think it's more like somebody noticed there was a 5-0 list in the Popper League on May 23rd um, that ran four copies of this thing and thought, hey, people play Popper and Paper too, so I should run out and buy all the foils. Yeah, there are zero on TCG right now. Yeah, so it looks like a targeted buyout. I, I think this is a perfect example of one of these specs where if you're holding a whole lot of copies, it's going to take you a while to offload them. Um, yeah. I'm not, I, I think the whole point of popper is to play cheap decks. So I'm not sure popper foils are really where you want to be. Um, I mean, there, there, there are probably, you know, contrarily, there probably are some popper players that foil it out because why not? If it only makes the deck it's cheap. Out. Yeah. Cause it's cheap. Um, and, and the format doesn't seem to get shaken up quite as much as some of the others, but all of that being the case, I don't think brown scales where you really want to be when there are many better options. No, no. Just, and I I have not looked at specking on any paper opera cards, but if I was going to, I don't think that's where I'd start. Um, P- Peter pecked a uh, bushel. No, I'm lost already. <laughs> Peter pecked a foil pupper paper no. cube. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right, what's next? <laughs> Sad for us. So Alicia, who smiles at death foils, was another one of my specs recently. Uh, moved from $3 to $9, which was exactly what we said would happen. Um, a super popular commander um, that is relatively recently uh, printed, but only printed once and only has the one foil edition from Fate Reforged. Um, one of the more popular mono red commanders. Uh, uh, sorry, is she mono red or is she Mardu classed? She, well, she is mono red, but she's considered Mardu because she has a black white activated ability. Exactly. So, um, anyway, uh, thousands of people play the deck, um, and now there are significantly less foils on the market for them to choose from. Okay. Good week for you and I. Um, next on the list is Trade Roots, a personal favorite of mine that I have never been able to get to work. Um, we're looking at the Mercadian mask foil copies started at three, jumped to 10. Um, there's right now there's one copy on TCG for seven fifty. Um, I really have wanted to get this and Dakmore salvage to work for a while, but I have no idea why it's here. 
Like none whatsoever. I can't, I don't think this showed up anywhere recently, right? Like, was it just people, someone just bumbling through Mercadian mask cards and buying foils that they thought were interesting? Like, that basically seems where we were. Because we've got like five Mercadian mask cards this week. Yeah, exactly. Somebody's going through all of the Mercadian mask foils and looking at which ones had low supply. (laughs) I would think you'd want to start with like Urza's Legacy, right? Or, uh, you know, like the, or Destiny, the first foil sets. Well, I mean, there, there is a, uh, a legacy deck that runs two copies of trade routes, um, but you don't see it very often. I think the last one to five O was in like November of 2016 or something. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I mean, Mercadian masks is, was, is remembered not fondly. It was a pretty bad set because they had to really dramatically lower the power curve after the Urza's block had like 12 broken cards or something. Um, it's, you know, it's the year after, Things like Memory Jar were printed. <laughs> Memory other... Jar, Talan Academy, yeah. uh, Sanctum, Yogmos Bargain, Yogmos Will, Will. etc. <laughs> craziness, <laughs> absolute craziness. So it's kind of funny when you say it all out loud at once. <laughs> yeah, it's amusing. The Marcadia Mass is a pretty bad set, but it's got a bunch of kind of weird, awkward cards, uh, and uh, I wouldn't pay much attention to this. Although you should go back through your collection because you may have some of these sitting around. I got a bunch of non-foils. <laughs> yeah, I don't think those are going to do as well. Uh, so the day. next card next card on the list actually has a better pedigree lately. Um, Logic Knot's been showing up in all sorts of white-blue uh, decks uh, in modern, um, where white-blue mid-range or white-blue X mid-range uh, seems to be reasonably well-positioned against uh, the Death Shadow decks that are kind of top of the heap these days. And so a lot of these uh, blue-white decks are running... Uh, some combination of three or four logic knots between the main and the board, uh, including two of the top two decks from uh, Grand Prix Kobe. I think the eighth place deck had four logic knot main, um, and uh, it hasn't been print- reprinted since 2013, so there really aren't that many foils around. And it's important to keep in mind that when something gets reprinted in a modern master set, but only the once, um, you know, that's a limited release. So there really aren't that many new foils added to the market. And a few years later, it's kind of back where you started. Yeah, this is a, a funky card. Um, but yeah, you've got Modern Masters and the Future Site ones. So there's just not as many as you'd hope there would be, I guess. I mean, I see one foil copy on TCG right now for four and change. Um, but still, it seems to have moved. Good job, guy that bought it out. <laughs> Uh, I think we can blame Reddit discussions for Zerolin of the Claw from uh, Mirage moving from $3 to $12. That's the non-foil. This is uh, on the assumption that it's going to get played in the Dragon EDH decks um, that are destined to be all the rage this fall. Um, I think that if you can get out on this card you know, anywhere near 15 in the in the late summer, you'll probably be pretty happy with that if you got into it recently. Um, I skipped this one just because it didn't look like in the existing Dragon decks um, there was... Uh, very many, a very high percentage pen- penetration of this card um, with the existing Dragon Commander. So I'm not convinced that it's really going to be uh, all that uh, desired. And it just seemed like there was better specs like Haven of the Spirit Dragon. It seemed like an auto-include. Well, you know, this one has stirred up a little bit of uh, people arguing here and there. So I'm going to put myself out there and say, I don't think that this was a bad choice if you were able to score them at $2 and change under 3 basically. Um, it's not the first kind of time we've seen the card spike. So you already had a lot of the copies that were kind of like in the woodwork already kind of got pulled out and sold the dealers and moved around the last time. But more importantly, you know, I kind of always keep in mind this idea that a card doesn't have to be good 
in order for it to spike, people just have to think it's going to be good. You just have to think it's going to be popular. And that still gets the price to move. So, you know, it really ends at two and change. Like, even if you end up selling them at six or seven after the card spiked to 15, like, you still did fine. Um, and it was very clearly an obvious choice of being on the reserve list. So, you know, if you think you can get there before the other greater fools, uh, I don't have a big problem with it. Well, and the thing is that, like, given how low the supply is, you even if only 40% of the dragon commanders uh, players want it, um, that's probably just fine. Like there's, there might only be a couple hundred copies, even now that they've been speculated on and purchased and they're sitting around waiting to be resold. There's still only a couple hundred copies floating around in the market that are easily accessible because of, you know, the longstanding attrition since Mirage, which was a set released when I was in university. So quite some time ago. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Next up is Grim Poppet. Uh, this is the artifact from Shadowmore, 7 mana, 4-4, four, four, moves minus 1, minus 1, counters around. Again, talking about the foils. Jumped from 3 to 14. There's only one copy on GCG Player right now for 14, uh, but the market price is still under $4. So um, definitely a buyout, definitely in response to Hapatra. Again, just because you get to move minus 1, minus 1 counters all over the place. Uh, so yeah, not, not too much to be said there. I expect the foils will relist. They'll come down in price from 14, but I think that, you know, eight to 10 is probably a fair price. Yeah. I mean, with Hepatra out, this says potentially kill three creatures, make three creatures for, and get a four or four for seven. So, uh, not the most exciting card in the deck, um, but probably going to get in there most of the time. Um, I would think, given what the deck wants to do and you know how it has relatively uh, limited options in terms of what it includes, down the road, I don't know if it you know makes the cut when you get more minus one minus one counter synergies in some future set. But for a few years, given you know how old the card is, um, I think the foils are pretty safe in that plateau that you mentioned. Yeah, I think you know I, I don't have all the cards in front of me, but I think you actually might be able to get a pretty good chain going, right? Because couldn't you, if you have another creature that allows you to remove the minus one minus one counters? Couldn't you take it off, pop it, put it on this other dude, get it, get Hapatra triggers, then move it from the other dude back to Grim, pop it, and kind of just bounce him back and forth? Yeah, you can start doing a bunch of craziness. Yeah, so I can see the value being there if you have, you know, two of two of that effect floating around. And and if it turns out that that tests well, if you're playing Hapatra and you like this guy in your deck, then you might want to look at the non-foils because there really aren't that that many of those sitting around either. No, no. And they're dirt cheap. Um, all right, what do you got next for us? Uh, all right, so next on the list, we've got Haven of the Spirit Dragon, which was my spec from uh, last week or the week before, moving from the foils, moving from $3 to 14 which is right on target for what we thought might happen. Um, and that's about 360% gain. And then your pick uh, from last week, Dragon Tempest, moving from $3 to 15 This is also the foils. Blame this on all of the people that were thinking about it at the same time as us and then heard us talking about it, etc., um, these plateaus need to be tested by real market action, and you know you'll you'll know that you're successful if you can actually sell them. Um, but I'll tell you this: almost none of these things that I've tried any time in the last six months or so have done anything but just sell. Like I went in on Vizier of Remedy foils at three dollars and sold a whole whack of them this week. Um, you know that's a foil uncommon that's totally in print. So if if foil uncommons from standard can pop that hard. Um, I wouldn't be scared about some of these older cards. Yep, I'm right there with you. That's why we talked about it. Although, to be completely fair to our listeners, I'm pretty sure by the time most people heard the cast, they were probably pretty 
that was probably a pretty dry well at that point anyways. Um, okay, so moving on, let's go uh, to Planar Collapse. This is a two mana white enchantment from Urza's Legacy. During your upkeep, if there are four or more creatures in play, sacrifice Planar Collapse and destroy everything. Uh, it was the foils, that, again, on uh, on this card, jumped from four to 20. Uh, I'm looking at TCG right now. There are, you know, two two sellers listed at, at 20 bucks. Foil pre- the market price is listed at 13. So apparently somebody bought one of these at roughly $13 at some point in time, uh, which is a little surprising. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I guess it's just that same guy who was going through and picking out Mercadian Mass did actually stop and check out Urza's Legacy too. So how good is this in EDH? Hmm. It's definitely reasonable. I don't, you know, I don't have EDH rec up, so I don't know exactly how played it is. Low, it's not it's terrible. Three hundred decks or so, so not very. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, so as an aside note, I really kind of wonder with EDH rec. I think has sort of the problem of you have lots of players who are new to the game. Yep. Who will show up and build decks, and we'll never have any idea a card like this exists. So, yeah. like, it's not really that highly played in EDH, but it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that a lot of people using the website don't know that the card exists, which is why sometimes you can see prices go wild if it gets reprinted because suddenly you have all of these people who now know the card is real exists, whereas they didn't know before. Because not everyone like digs through all of magic in order to find cool cards for their EDH decks, like I kind of tend to do. In any case, Planar Collapse is fine. It's not terribly exciting, but, you know, it's a two-mana Wrath that you can kind of, like, scare people off playing more creatures for a turn if there's already four when you cast it. Yeah, I mean, there's a card like this in Hearthstone, I forget the name of it, um, that has been uh, extremely useful in in similar situations. Um, it's, a, it's, you know, a combination Wrath and Tempo play. So... I could see. I I would like to test this in something like attracts the planeswalkers or something. Um, yeah, and, that's and exactly if, the type of place you would put it. Yeah, and and see how it felt there. I mean, uh, because the non foils are still dirt cheap. So, yeah, maybe. Uh, what's next? Uh, so next on our list is oh, this Hickory, is one of yours, Hickory Woodlot. Well, it's not one of mine. It's it's a card that I saw on this. You know, on the price. Uh, movement charts earlier this week and started asking people about because um, I had just assumed that all the lands and Marcadian masks were garbage um, and never really looked at them. But I had a bunch of the the foils and non-foils sitting around from the super collection. Uh, and uh, when I, I stared at Hickory Woodlot and the other lands like it, they're basically comes into play tapped. They have two counters and you can tap, remove a counter and get two mana of any one color. So in Atraxa, that's like an infinite two mana per turn past the first turn where it comes into play tap because Atraxa keeps proliferating, putting a counter back on. So you tap it, get two mana, she puts a counter back on, and you've got two mana from that land for the rest of the game. Um, Everybody seemed pretty lukewarm uh, about it on Twitter. Like maybe I would run it, but it wouldn't be like anywhere near the best land in my deck. Um, And it's possible some of the other storage lands are just better. So... I picked up some foils locally at like a buck fifty each that I I found in in a display case uh, or so it wasn't even in a display case. The guy had to go in the back and drag out a box and and showed me a stack of plate cards and I picked out the ones that weren't destroyed. Um, and I picked up like fourteen of them. I figured like maybe it gets there in EDH, but I wouldn't be going on you know a long trip to try to buy some of these. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, they, uh, we also saw them pop up in Legacy quite a while ago uh, as part of a hypergenesis strategy, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, it was kind of funny. I don't remember, I don't have the deck list in front of me, but you would use Hickory Woodlot to, uh, and the depletion lands like this to power out, like, turn two. Oh, yeah. Spells. There's, like, there's, yeah, there's a Eureka Tell deck that has yeah. Deathrite Shaman, Grizzlebrand, Emrakul, Jace, Nicol Bolas, Ugin. Uh, engineered explosive, Sylvan Library, Omniscience. I'm gonna have to digest this deck. This deck is crazy. With a bunch that is of very different than the one I remember reading. Yeah, this is like four show and tell four Eureka, basically. And they're using oh no, the, the one I'm talking about was uh, a Hypergenesis deck. Huh? Yeah, this it is... was a Japanese player that was playing Hypergenesis. This is a different thing entirely. Um, yeah. Anyway, the Mercadian Mass foils are super old, as we said. Um, somebody obviously targeted this set this week. Uh. Wait and see whether these hold, um, but if you can sell into uh, what is now a, a market vacuum, feel free. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, okay, same, goes, so same goes for the next two, right? For everything, yeah. Rishadon Brigand and Rishadon Cut Purse, both Mercadian Masks cards, obviously Rishadon. Um, one is a 5-mana three, 3-2 Flying Bird that your opponent when it comes into play your opponents have to sack a permanent or pay three mana the other one is when it comes into play everyone sacks a permanent unless they pay one mana um both of them jumped from let's see cut purse jumped from 75 cents to five bucks and rishadon brigand jumped from 10 to 50 uh i i guess they're for brago uh but you know i play brago and i don't want either of these cards so I, this is just somebody, again, that same guy buying cards out. Yeah, I, I think you leave this alone. And don't believe that Brigand's at 50. I mean, this is one of those cases where the last remaining copy might be posted at 50, but this card is going to go right back to $15, $20 range max. Yep, that's all we need to say. Uh, what do you got next? Ethersworn Canonist is another one of these cards that was printed like 10 years ago and then got one printing in Modern Masters and hasn't been seen since. And the foils pop from, in theory, $12 to $80, but let's call that a $20 to $25 plateau, realistically speaking, um, since I, I have no faith in the market picking up copies of this, like, sometimes played main deck, sometimes sideboard in modern and legacy card in the $80 range. Yeah, yeah, this was part of those uh, foil packs, too, from the Alara block. Um, so there's a, a slightly higher supply out there as well hmm. definitely not 80 dollars um next on our list is circle of protection red from ninth edition again the foils won the 15 but you know yes that the one ninth edition foil is like 15 bucks but you can find the eighth edition ones for eight and change although there's not many left there's seventh edition foils there's m foils i i really i don't get it like i guess I, i'm assuming the, i'm assuming that it. these get i'm assuming these get bought up for cube or something um the, the art is probably the best on ninth edition yeah. i'll give it that yeah between seventh and ninth the the circle some of the foil circles uh you know circles were pr printed over and over again for years and nobody cared about them um but in that seventh to ninth edition period um you get the preferred foils for whatever circumstance they're being used which i have to assume is cube because i don't know where else they would be used um and uh, cop red, I mean, occasionally shows up in sideboards in modern, but I don't think those are usually intelligent choices. Mm, yeah, probably not. 
It's got to be a weird format for Copperhead to be good. Uh, what do you? Why don't you finish off the week for us here? So the last crazy jump was Cabal Pit um, out of Odyssey, moving from seventy-five cents. Was what? Cabal Pit, moving from seventy-five cents to twelve dollars for like a fifteen hundred percent gain. Um, I find it uh, very difficult to imagine where this might be being played. I I'm looking at this and I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Somebody's just making making this up as they go along. <laughs> well, I know it's played like occasionally in vintage and in four color loam in Legacy, but it's not always played in the loam deck. And I mean, Legacy. I, I, I let's just call this what it is. It's low supply, and somebody saw three copies left as they were buying the one for their Legacy deck and decided to clean them out. I guess. Whatever. It's fine. Do what you will. Yeah. Uh, another good example of something you don't want 100 copies of, but if you had four or five that you acquired in, in a reasonable range, you might bleed them out over a couple of years and come out ahead. Sure, sure. All right, All right. whatever. Let's move on. Segment two, Cards to Watch. I'm going to start off this week. Hit it. I love your pick this have, week. Because I have one more this week than you do, which is a rare occasion. Uh, but it's not... I don't even know if I can call this a real pick. It's... um. Duskwatch Recruiter Foils uh, from Sh- uh, Shadows Over Innistrad. You can still find copies in like the five to six range, um, but not many out there. Your best bet's going to be your local stores um, and local trade binders. I think these are a snap pickup if you can grab them at that price. I expect they'll be at least 15 uh, within the next month or two, possibly even less than that. Uh, you know, we saw Vizier Remedies jump to 15 plus because it combos with the um, Devoted Druid. That combo is looking real good. Duskwatch Recruiter is a pretty firm staple in that deck. Um, the reason for that is when you put together the infinite mana with Devoted Druid and Vizier Remedies, you have to do something with it. So Court of Calling can't really go get a creature that can then just like kill your opponent and is also a card that you want in your deck anyways. Like you could go get Emrakul, but you put him in the play so you don't get the captures or anything. You can go get Gristlebrand, I guess, but maybe your life's a little low and you can't attack. But you can get Duskwatch Recruiter, who you put into play, and then with Infinite Mana, you can draw every creature in your deck. And then once the cards are in your hand, you can cast like a Walking Ballista and just kill them on the spot. And both all of these cards are playable on their own anyways. Like they don't have to be involved in part of the combo to be decent. Um, Duskwatch Recruiter in particular is, is pretty great when you've got a deck with like eight birds or whatever in it. Um, so foils are really cheap right now, like five bucks. We've already seen cards in a very similar position jump pretty hard. I think, you know, right around that price, these are, are guaranteed to make you some bucks. Yeah. Slam dunk. I mean, if stubborn denial a week into spiking still is holding over $22 as a recently printed foil uncommon, then there's no reason to believe Dustwatch recruiter can get up over 15. Yeah. Uh, okay. What's your first card for us? Well, in exactly the same vein, let's talk about another foil uncommon that's in standard that's being overlooked mm-hmm. that's way too cheap. Um, Felidar Guardian foils are in and around $4. There really aren't that many of them out there. And Sahili Rai combo is completely live for modern. <laughs> like, 
it's been on camera multiple times. It's made deep runs into multiple tournaments. Um, and there's no reason to believe it's not the second coming of Splinter Twin. Um, whether it's tier one or not uh, is fully debatable. Um, but it's going to be a presence out there. And it's probably going to get played as much as the Grixis Shadow deck or um, the decks that are running uh, my other pick for the week that we'll talk about in a second or uh, Dustwatch Recruiter. So, yeah, Felidar Guardian foils at four. Likely to hit 10, I think, uh, this year or next. I'm very confident that I can pick up 20 of those and make money later. Hmm. Interesting. Sure. I could see it. I could see it. I know that it is, like, every time I hear about it, it's like, oh, this is doing surprisingly better than we thought it would be. Well, it's just like everybody assumed Sahili was going to be standard only, but um, that does not look to be the case. There's all these four-color Sahili Rai decks in Modern where they have so many more options right like there's there's so many yeah. more cards that that make sahili good and um you know i'm seeing four color color sahili shells uh SCG modern iq in new holland uh, four color sahili was fifth place on may 21st and hmm. ran uh four fellow dark guardian main um you're also seeing it show up in uh the 12th place deck from the modern classic in Baltimore uh, last weekend uh, was also running uh, four copies main. So yeah, I mean the deck's real uh, cards live. Uh, no reason this doesn't pop. Yeah. I mean, it is definitely not as good as splinter twin, but the mana requirements are a little easier as long as you're in just guy. Cause you don't have to make double red and Felidar Guardian has some additional upside in exiling your permanent rather than just untapping it. So you can get some kind of come to play trigger effects going on. So, yeah, I think it's completely correct. It's very live. Everyone I know has been kind of surprised by it. Who's uh, who's played it? Um, okay, my second pick for this week is Door of Destinies. Uh, looking at the M14 and Morningtide and promo copies, we know that this fall is going to be all tribal commander decks. Door of Destinies is one of the best effects if you are playing tribal to form mana artifact that you just choose a creature type when it comes into play. And then whenever you cast one of those creatures, the door gets a counter. And then creatures of that type have plus one plus one for each of those counters. So if you play this on four and then on turn five, you play two elves, all elves now get plus two plus two. And I mean, you can see how that probably gets real wild real fast. Um, I don't love non-foils of this because I think that this is a pretty reasonable reprint um, card for one of the commander decks, but foils are great. There's not a lot of foils even between M14 and Mordentide and the promo. Um, the promo still, the, the normal one is actually pretty cool looking. The promo one is still great looking too. It kind of reminds me of uh, a Hobbit hole. Um, but these are all available in, I think the promo is at like 13 or 14, but I think the M14 and morning tide copies are in and around seven to eight bucks, which I think is a solid foil pickup. Um, I think you can double up on these pretty, pretty easily this year, probably, uh, and, and get out after and do well on these tribal strategies. Yeah. I think that's a, a dead solid game plan. Good pick. Cool. What do you got next for us? All right, my next pick this week is Spell Queller Foils, um, one of the recent foil rares that's made its way into Modern and has showed up in a few different shells, which is one of the reasons I like it. Um, 
uh, you know, anybody who's running white blue X, uh, whether that's Esper or Jeskai or it's just straight white blue control or mid range or tempo or spirits, uh, perhaps spirits tribal, um, Bant spirits tribal has been a thing with this card as well uh, a few months back. Um, it's just a good card. It's got flash. It, it, it can temporarily or sometimes permanently remove a spell that costs four or less um, and then start hitting your opponent upside the head. Um, it's done good work in standard. It's look, doing some good work in modern, and it's got, a, I think, a reasonably bright future there. And anytime I see a potential modern staple foil rare under $10, I feel relatively comfortable jumping into that pool and hoping that it someday gets to at least 15 um, for a reasonable out, or if I'm lucky, 20 or $30, like we've seen with things like Collected Company and Collected Brutality. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree. In fact, I am relatively confident that I actually have this back one of our weeks. I don't know which week, but I think I remember talking about this, so I'm right there with you. Yeah, I've picked it at some point as well, but I mean, the... the <laughs> The, the fact that we've still got copies in the marketplace at this price is just screaming to me opportunity. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, okay, my last pick for the week is a little more uh, unique. It is Harsh Mercy from Onslaught. Uh, nobody knows what Harsh Mercy is. That's okay. Harsh Mercy was a three mana uh, sorcery. It's each player chooses a creature type destroy all creatures that aren't of this type so it's a three mana kind of selective wrath again if you're the guy playing a tribal deck like soldiers you pick soldiers and none of your soldiers die now your opponents might have like if they're playing hapatra they might have some elves some snakes whatever hapatra is like a human or a zombie um you know you'll have a they'll have a couple of swords so they'll get to keep one type of it but not all of them um so I, I like this as a as an EDH player. I like that you can kind of twist it to your advantage if you're the tribal guy, but it also doesn't completely hose all of your opponents. Like it's not quite as brutal as um as like in Garrick's Wake or uh, Decree of Annihilation, not Decree of Annihilation. Uh, the one that kills everyone else's creatures, the one sided wrath, black one. Is that a decree? I don't think that's a decree. A decree of pain. Is that the one? Decree of pain was no. That's the one where you draw cards. Crud. Not in uh, Garrick's Wake, right? It is in Garrick's Wake, but that's a functional reprint of another card, and I'm upset that I can't remember it. In any case, it's not quite as brutal as that, so it's a little more friendly, so people won't be quite as angry at you about it. In <laughs> any case, foils are like four to five bucks right now. There are two copies on TCG Player. There are not many else out there. It's an onslaught foil, zero reprintings. It's unlikely to show up in the tribal Dexis, um fall i think but even if it does you're looking at foils i mean on foils still there's like 15 there's like 20 copies so uh really minimal supply uh and a card that's very tribal i'm a little less a little less uh confident about this one than the other ones but i do think it's a little more off the radar call that could end up doing quite well yeah i mean i have to think through like how busy how tribal are the tables going to be at EDH um, after everybody gets their hands on these new tribal decks. It feels like in a meta where you're tribal and nobody else is, this card really shines. In a meta where everybody's tribal, I'm not so sure. Well, sure. And that's exactly the problem is like, they'll come out, everyone will show up with them. It'll be like, oh, this isn't, this sucks. Everyone's playing tribal. And then if you met, but if, you know, if you wait a couple weeks, a month, people aren't playing these quite as much or people bring out their old decks after a game or two of the new decks, suddenly it's way stronger. 
okay, so why don't we move on to our segment? Excuse me, segment three, metagame week in review. We're looking at Kobe and Copenhagen. These are two modern Grand Prix. Um, I didn't see anything too amazingly wild out here. Uh, did you have anything that struck you looking through these? Uh, well, I liked that. If you look at the the Kobe list, you see those blue white mid range control decks um, doing relatively well. This is an archetype that's been largely lacking in modern um, over the last few years, but that's been making inroads over the last twelve months or so. Um, and there's a couple of like really different approaches, right? Like check check out that seventh place deck from Akio Chiba. Is that four glory bound initiate in his deck? Yeah, this. This is a little funky, I have to admit. Uh, it is. He's, he's got four Glorybound Initiate. He's... Yeah, what? Wait. Oh, man. That is so weird. All right. I take back what I said. <laughs> this is weird. This is a weird deck. I have no idea. He's got Devour Flesh. He's got four Painful Truths. Um, four Dark Slick Shores. This is a... Well, I I love- is Glorybound Initiate good enough for modern? I guess it is. I, I love the painful truths because I've got a bunch of those foils sitting around for when everybody was talking about how it was going to be the hot new card draw in Legacy. Uh, and then Legacy kind of fell off a cliff as a format. Um, Spec-wise, anyway. Uh, but I like where this guy's head is at. And I love the fact that 20 year, 25 years into Magic, the Japanese players are still embarrassing the rest of us with their tech. <laughs> I don't, you know, what's funny too, is I do not see any way to untap this thing. There's no always watching or anything that gives it, uh, vigilance. He's just plain old exerting it every other turn. Amazing. Yeah. And the interesting, yeah, exactly. Cause I would have been like, well, maybe I should be running that, uh, that other collective card, the one that untaps my dragon lord, Ujitai, occasionally the white one. Um, instead of running brutality, but nope, I guess not. This had twenty eight hundred people too. This was not like a eight hundred person GP. What? What? <laughs> I can't handle this. I, I, I gotta can't go back. This this, co- this coverage is online somewhere, and I think you have to set up set up an account to watch it. But I think I'm gonna have to go back and check out his games <laughs> and hope there was something on camera because uh, I have to see Glory Bandit. I have to see the face of his opponent the first time he cast that card in modern. And the guy looked around like in a panic, like he was at the wrong table, like he was in the wrong tournament. <laughs> He's like, oh shit, is this standard? I, I must be missing my match. Right. Yeah. He just, his opponent taps to glory about his shit. And he's like, fucking what? You're like, what? turn to Tarmogoyf. And he like goes, looking for a judge, like where, what? <laughs> and he goes, turn to glory bound. Go. <laughs> Does it resolve? Is it, Yes, it resolves. Yeah. <laughs> so also interesting. Meanwhile, this the first. Go ahead. I would say the other blue white mid range deck on here. I just think is really funny because it is literally all four ofs outside of the mono base. Like every yeah, card that's one... not in the mono base or the sideboard four of. Like okay, this guy is really confident. He knows what he wants. And there's your well, four logic just... knots, by the way. Yeah, exactly. And this is just classic Drago magic, right? Like cryptic com- four cryptic command, four electrolyze, four lightning bolt, helix. Logic Knot, Path to Exile, Serum Visions, Force Spell Queller, and Snapcaster Mage. This is just stop you what you're doing. Stop, 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 stop you what you're doing. Um, I, I find it interesting that this is a, a Jeskai deck and not an Esper deck because I'm surprised that anybody wants Lightning Bolt instead of Fatal Push in this format. Um, I mean, between Electrolyze and Lightning Helix, he's, I think he's probably intending to shoot you in the face to some extent. To some extent. Yeah. 
I guess so. Got, he he gets, a, gets a few. Host, by the way. Yeah, gets a few points in with the spell queller, and eventually kills you with celestial colonnade once he gets control. Yeah, that bolt snap bolt play on is still uh, still pretty real. <laughs> still deals real damage. Yeah. Um, ad nauseum. Also, you know, down there, uh, another card that I'm kind of shocked hasn't jumped in price yet. Uh, it just seems so so perfect for it. Um, I don't know. I, I I kind of expect this any day. And I have expected any day for a while now. So the first place deck was Eldrazi Aggro, which was running uh, is basically a black white Eldrazi uh, deck that kind of eschews the um, the hate bears portion that I run, um, and just goes straight to the face. So three Reality Smasher, a Shriek, a Shriek Maw, three four Thought Not Seer, four Tide Hollow Sculler, four Wasteland Strangler, but none of the stuff like uh, Leon and Arbiter. Um, but they do run four Lingering Souls, four Path, two Fatal Push, three Inquisition, and a Thought Seize, Collective Brutality, and Dismember, uh, Ratchet Bomb, and four Relic. Um, so they can get rid of graveyards, uh, make sure that the Tarmogoyfs don't have anything to feed off of. They have a whole bunch of ways to kill Death Shadow um, or block it. They've got the usual uh, discard suite and collective brutality, um, which is especially excellent against uh, burn decks. And then Wasteland Strangler is a foil I've been holding a bunch of for a while, um, and it just consistently makes these Eldrazi lists. Um, and now it has won a Grand Prix. Um, so maybe I'll take a look at what, whether that should be on my list for next week. Uh, yeah, I mean, possibly. This is, a, this is an interesting one. A little different than we're used to. That Shriek Maw is, uh, is kind of amusing. I've run one of those, too. Um, it's nice just to take out a Tarmogoyf on two if you need to, and later in the game you get a 3-2 Fear that might be able to get past anything that's blocking. Sure, sure. Two, uh, two Kaleidos over in the sideboard, three Fulminator Mage. Um, Fairmont and Death Shadow around the format, too, by the way. Uh, you know, I wanted to play Restore Balance at Vegas um, in a couple weeks, but you know, Ari Lax was telling me that it's probably not worth it um, with that shadow as good as it is. And I'm hearing from other players, like, you know, professionals on Twitter, they're like, just don't, if you're not playing death shadow, like, what are you doing? So it seems like it really is. Um, I think one, probably the best deck in the format, the Kobe list doesn't really bear that out, but Copenhagen, we see it both in first and in fifth. Um, and we see it even more here stateside. I think, um, do you think that, uh, do you think we're losing something from that in the, any time in the near future? I don't think so. I, I think that this deck gets to run for a while. I mean, it's not doing anything ridiculous and unfair, and there's a lot of play to the games. Like, there, there yeah. are one... Plen- now that we have Fatal Push, there's plenty of one-mana solutions to the, the dominant threats in that deck. Um, it's the best deck because it is extremely consistent at executing its game plan, and it doesn't have easy ways to shoot itself in the foot like a bunch of the decks that rely on drawing specific cards at specific <laughs> like, times. Like literally every deck I have ever sleeved in my life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Me too. So, yeah, I mean, this is just like the the ultimate spike build, right? Like, it, it basically plays like a 52-card deck because it's got all these, like, ways of cycling through its cards between Mishra's Bobble and uh, Street Wraith. Um, and so it's, and, you know, it walks that razor's edge. I think Death Shadow went under the radar for years, because, not because the, the pieces were missing, because Street Wraith and Bobble were available. But people didn't realize um, that in a format where burn is not necessarily where you want to be, um, that being at that, like, six to eight 
life total range might be safe if you know the format well enough to play around what your opponent's up to. It's not the kind of deck I would want to take. Uh, I would recommend somebody use as a, a gateway drug into modern because, um, you know, if you don't know what you're facing down, if you don't know the other decks really well, you're not going to know how to play out your, you know, fourth through seventh turns to put the game away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a professional level deck. Um, you just you need to know when you can how low you can go and 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 how you know safe it's going to be to to put yourself in a range where your death shadow is big enough to be an, a super aggressive threat um, without the next two cards out of your opponent's hand killing you on the spot um, and that's why you're seeing the you know the card deflecting palm that we talked about uh, last week um, doing so well out of the decks that can afford to run it because. Um, you know, they try to hit you upside the head with a 10-10 Death Shadow, and you just hit them back for 10 at instant speed for 2 mana. That's a good place to be. Yeah. Meanwhile, by the way, there are Foil Gurmog Anglers start at $7. There are 47 sellers on TCG Player, and not many of them have more than one copy in stock. The funny thing is, I bought a ton of those at a dollar, um, and I've been selling them happily in the 6 to $7 range. And Boy, yet, that was did not last for long, so I remember looking for these foil and not being able to find them way back. Yeah, I bought most of the Delve cards in foil like pretty early on because I was just like, Delve is broken. Um, and you know, most of the money I made was on Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time heading into GP Jersey that year. But um, the the anglers, you know, have been like a sit one sale a month kind of thing here and there. Um, but it's interesting because maybe you're right. Maybe it's a pickup. Like, how many did you say were left? There are 47, 46 sellers, and I would say a quarter of those have more than one copy, and there are zero sellers with more than a playset. So maybe 100 foils under 10 bucks. Uh, and TCG Player, it's less than that. And TCG Player, about it's 70 copies. Right. So, so let's let's call it 150 across multiple platforms um, on that basis. That might actually be a target instead of something I should be selling. Maybe I should just take that listing down for now. I mean, if you think that the deck's not going to go anywhere, uh, it doesn't seem bad. No, I, um, I, 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 zero... I think that both there are both Esper and Grixis builds that are con- going to continue to run Tassiger and occasionally run Gurmag Angler. Um, and I don't think it's a card that's going to get reprinted anytime soon. Um, it, some of those Delve cards that are still legal might show up in Modern Masters 2019 if such a thing exists. Um, but other than that, I think it's a pretty safe place to be. Yeah, you know, seven bucks. It's hard for me to tell you to buy it, but I don't think I'd sell it. Um. Meanwhile, Thought Scour foils are twenty bucks. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. There's one Japanese foil at twenty um, there, and then it's thirty dollars after that. So this is uh, I'm not sure people realize how expensive this was. Um, I'm trying to look right here. Was this recent? Um, oh, geez, the foil prices on this must. I think this just sold out because I don't see the foil prices elsewhere having adjusted for this like tracking tracking it doesn't seem to have kept up yeah so over in uh copenhagen at the gp where they had 1837 players i like the creatures toolbox deck which is basically uh vizier of remedies and uh our friend devoted druid both of which have made me money lately um dustwatch recruiter which was your pick this week uh and uh, it's also running a copy of Ronus the Indomitable in the main. Spicy. Interesting. I was looking at the um, what the Limingen deck uh, in second place. 
because as excited as we all were for us astrotome restore balance, um, living in secretly got probably got more better um, with Amonkhet's printing because of all the new cyclers. Um, so this is playing for horror of the broken lands, for in- instance, um, uh, which is which is kind of interesting to see. But I think, uh, but I none think... of the uh, none of the curator of mysteries, the four four flying sphinx for cycles for one blue. No, and I'm I'm not clear why that might have something to do with the fact that how it interacts with Deadshot Minotaur because you end up having to shoot all of your sphinxes with Deadshot Minotaurs. <laughs> when you're yeah, that in. sucks. Which I don't. They're four fours, right? So they don't die. But like, if the numbers can work out, kind of not in your favor. Um, but I know that there are various versions of uh, living and floating around right now. Um, there's a John one that I've heard seen discussed. I think Ari and a few other people were talking about it. So I do think living end should very much be on your radar right now um, as a deck. Uh, and you know, I haven't gone through all of these cards to uh, to check prices at the moment, but I do think there's probably some fertile ground in there, especially because I think Living End is going to continue to do pretty well uh, without any without any interference here. Well, it's, it's one of these decks that not a ton of players are ever going to pick up um, because it, it appeals to a specific sub-segment of, of the market. But the... You know, it's it's consistently shown up at tables at every tournament I've been to in recent memory. There's always one or two guys running it. So, and I just sold three copies of Living End today um, for about double what I paid for them. So, there's certainly certainly a card that's moving. There are four, five, six, seven, eight near mint non foil Living Ends on TCG. There are zero English near mints on Star City. Uh, even the non-foils, the, they're four on ABU and they're thirty dollars. You can find living ends under fifteen, this seventeen. That might actually be a buy too. Jeez. Yeah, I, I sold three for sixty today, so twenty each and got in between eight and ten. So plenty satisfied with that result. But there might be further further gains here. Yeah, possibly, possibly. And and this um, isn't a card I see being reprinted this year so i i don't if, if you're sitting on a bunch of living in i don't think you need to be in a rush you can start doing a, a thing i do called like selling up the chain where you test the waters by seeing if you can unload your masterpiece soul ring at like 118 and then the next week you sell it at 128 and then 138 and this week i'm selling them at 158 and they're still selling so you know you drip it into the market a little bit at a time and don't don't get too excited and try to dump everything one of the things i always oh, think yeah. is hilarious. I do that all the time one of the things I always think is hilarious is when guys buy like 30 copies of something and clean out a card on TCG, and then two days later I see all 30 show up in his account, and I'm like, <laughs> do you really think the best market signal is that you have all the cards? <laughs> like, yeah. Why don't you just list list a playset and see how that goes? Yep. I will say I very rarely list every copy of a card that I have uh, for sale initially. Only when I'm like, yeah, it, it doesn't happen often. On, on, on eBay, if I'm listen, listening something like Brea uh, or Atraxa or Yidris or any of these commanders recently, I'm going to list four at a time, no more. I'm not going to list the 50 I bought. Um, yeah. you, you don't, you don't want to give people a, the feeling that they can come back later and get it. You want people to feel like they got to get it soon. Yep. Agreed. Um, all right. Was there anything else you wanted to look at in here? The Blue Red Storm is interesting. That Barrel Storm is looking like a real contender in modern right now, too. I've been picking up foil foil Russian, foil Korean barrels um, because this is a deck that appears to, to spikes from way back. You know, this is the kind of deck that Finkel runs on stream when he streams. And 
those guys, uh, you know, the extremely spiky guys that play for a long time, and this deck has never really been killed, even though they've attempted to kill it in modern, like, with multiple bannings. <laughs> you know, there was versions of this deck that got to run Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time, if you can believe that. Um, <laughs> uh, and now that they don't have any of that, the deck is still utterly viable and shows up constantly. Um, and this was in the hands of Martin Mueller, right? Like, not some rando. This is, like, one of the up-and-coming stars of Magic. So um, I think Foils of Burrell, Chief of Compliance, are are a solid buy because the rest of that deck is not particularly expensive um, and looks like it's going to be around for a while. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Um, I, I think that the, 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 big pi- the big picture here is Modern looks very healthy right now. I mean, sure, Death Shadow decks are clearly the best deck. I think everybody's in agreement. But it's not like they're dominating top eights. I mean, they're they're present in all of these top eights, and they're defining the meta. But the meta is still wide open. Like there must be, if you, especially if you go down to the top sixteen of these three tournaments, there might be twenty twenty different lists, like twenty different mm-hmm. archetypes. And e- and even within yeah. each archetype, you've got multiples. Like in Japan, the white and the white and blue control players barely agreed on anything. <laughs> <laughs> The one guy's yeah. running glory bound initiate. The other guy's got four logic nods. I mean, these are totally different decks. <laughs> glory bound initiate. What is that? I'm so curious. Oh um, wait, wait, wait a second. I've got a, I've got an even crazier deck for you. Okay, so um, there's an all in Japanese version of Vizier of Remedies that runs four summoning pact and four pact of negation. Um, so that they just like run all the packs to make sure that their combo goes off. <laughs> let me get you, I let mean, me, hey, let me get you this list. Take a look at this. That sounds interesting. Oh my god, Facebook links. Uh, what are oh, we no. looking at here? What did you like me to? Oh, no, and then okay, so it routed through to Yeah. Uh all in modern eternal devote. <laughs> so this is just the same this is basically the I, same Vizier well, Remedies well, devoted well. druid combo. <laughs> This is great. So I don't know. Did they run this through a translator? Uh, he, he play uh, under devoted druid. It says, "Why do I have to wait until the druid gets undrunk?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if the, the somebody revelation, if I can't wait for it to get undrunk, let's forcefully make it undrunk. <laughs> yeah. So somebody needs to let me know that speaks Japanese or plays Magic in Japan, whether. Uh, the magic vernacular for untap over there is undrunk because if so, you guys are better at magic than us yet again. Well, I would imagine it's got to be a translation error, but it's just great. I want to start referring to. Oh, does that come to play drunk? <laughs> it's it's way better. Magic oh, would man, be better with new dragon's great. This new dragon is great. He's uh, he comes to the play sober. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this thing runs four Hall of the Bandit Lord which is a legendary land from Champions of Kamigawa that comes into play tapped. But when you tap it and pay three life, you add a mana to your mana pool. And if the mana is spent on a creature spell, like say Vizier Remedies, uh, sorry, Devoted Druid, then that, that creature has haste. So you basically get to go off the turn that you play the Devoted Druid instead of waiting for them to kill it with Fatal Push. And you protect it with, uh, you find it with Summoning Pact and you protect it with uh, Pact of Negation. 
And then it's got a shit ton of, of card selection tools to get to uh, the two combo pieces. Commune with nature. This is the one mana green sorcery that lets you dig five deep looking for one of the pieces. Traverse the Ulvenwald, which is, you know, foils we've been telling you to buy forever because it's basically green demonic tutor. Oath of Nisa, ditto. You should own foils of that card. And then four Mishra's Bobble and a Conjurer's Bobble. It's got just the one walking ballista and one Dustwatch recruiter. It's running four Street Wraith. <laughs> this is like so all in right like this is this is like taking the uh the card selection of of a deck the efficiency of death shadow and then you know the infinite combo and making sure that you can get it faster and protect it easier more easily (laughs) this is this is something else i have to say yeah i'll 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 post this in the show notes this week because everybody's going to want to get a good chuckle the write-ups classic as you said and the deck list is wicked awesome so can you win on turn two? Can this deck kill on turn two? Uh, so you can wild canter on turn one. On turn two, on turn two, you can have. I don't think you can do it on turn two. Can you? Can't get four mana that fast, right? No, I don't believe so. Kind of surprised he's not playing dorks. But on on three, you certainly can. Oh yeah, yeah, no question. Hmm. Very nifty. Um. Okay, so let's wrap up. Uh, with this topic of the week, Bauer Devastation Links. Uh, so we've got three. Can I, new can, cards. I put some, can I put some quotations around this? The quote unquote yeah. leaks. I, I, I continue to, to believe from the agency side of things that anytime cards like this quote unquote leak, this is just planned PR bullshit, people. Like they, they want us to look at these, get a, a little flavor ahead of the official spoiler season. And they never it's not like they ever happen like in the midst of some other big set release, right? It's always in that dead period, a month to eight weeks after a set comes out when this stuff shows up. So Well, you you asked me offcast if I thought the leaks if they were actually leaks. Um you know, Occam's Razor says they pretty much are just because it's much easier to believe that some wizards employee somewhere made a mistake um, or made a a lapse in judgment that got these into our hand. Uh, I know the idea of wizards employees making mistakes may sound foreign to you. After all, they oh, never yeah. do that. That never happens. <laughs> but you know, so do I think that I absolutely recognize the possibility that they are intentional, and I'm not even going to tell you that all of them, that some of them haven't been. But for the, you know, it seems very damaging to the brand to have your. No, I shouldn't say damaging, but less than desirable to have your biggest banner cards from the set. Um, not even like reprints, right? Like the face of the set slip out and kind of like deflate the excitement just a little bit by the time they actually get around the spoiling it. I don't know for sure. It's just kind of my impression is just guy on the sidelines. I would compare this to the toy or video game industries where um, pumping out information basically as it becomes available is is like a regular thing you get the hype engine running like months or years in advance and you keep milking it and milking it milking it so to the point where people are frothing at the mouth to get their hands on something i don't really actually think it hurts the brand at all especially if we're talking about it in terms of hurting sales um unless you're getting this information um during the release of a set ahead of it which somehow invalidates the desire for the cards in that set but because this is like a fo- most sets are follow-ons to sets you're currently 
um, you know, purchasing or pre-ordering or playing with. Um, and they're all meant to be designed to be played together in this format called standard. Um, it's pretty hard for one set to hurt another. Um, and I, you know, it, it's interesting to me that like, if these are not intentional, why are they, why are none of these leaks dis- truly disastrous? Like, I think the full set list would be a problem right now because then you got very little left in the hype engine when we get around to the set, but the set's only a couple months off now. And to give us like a taste of, you know, a mediocre planeswalker, an amazing banner planeswalker that we all knew was going to be broken, broken looking anyway. And then a kind of interesting, you know, uh, uh, card that's going to create a lot of like back and forth between people, um, you know, seems just like par for the course PR from my perspective. Well, I, you know, we, I didn't see the actual pages they came from, but they were apparently on some French wizards page that was posted that wasn't supposed to be. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't expect the average page, you know, if they were putting promotional images on some web page someplace, it, you wouldn't have the whole set. You would only have a small bit of them. Sure, but why why are they designing banner graphics for something they're going to do two or three months from now, this far in advance, and and then mistakenly hitting the publish button? <laughs> well, it, right. So that is interesting. Like, well, so why is this in the pipe so far ahead of time? Like, that seems a little odd to me. But I, 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 I mean, ultimately, there's no real drama here. Who cares if it's intentional or if it's unintentional? Um, I True. can throw all the shade I want, but it doesn't matter. The it's nice to get little leaks here and there. Um, I don't really think it hurts them. I don't. Uh, think it impacts sales much um, i'm super stoked to see that nickel bolas is every bit as nasty as i expected him to be okay so before i comment on that did you say milk like they're milking it yeah milk yeah or milk milk it's not a lot like milk you got some curious canadian pronunciations up there <laughs> That I've noticed I, here and there. I, I would argue that milk and milk are are pronunciations that vary even in the U.S. I, I mean, I won't say that they aren't, but in, I don't typically hear milk pronounced with anything other than a, a good eye. <laughs> Fair um, enough. All right. So Nickel Bolas, I have to tell you, I was kind of underwhelmed by him. Like, So he's a really cool planeswalker, and I think he absolutely stands on his own if you are tapping seven lands for this guy. At strictly from the perspective of as a Marvel target, I find him a little underwhelming. Um, so, you know, mo- right now when you Marvel, you're really hit, hoping to hit Ulamog because you get to clean up the two most problematic permanents and then present a blocker that they can't get through and a card they can't remove. If you Marvel into Nicol Bolas, if you're kind of behind on board, which Marvel is almost always going to be, um, what are you doing? Right, like you can kill a creature, but then Nickel Bolas dies unless if they have any other threat. Um, you can plus him to put him the nine loyalty, and you get to cast whatever you flip into, which sometimes will be solid. Other times you're just gonna flip, you're just gonna plus and hit like a tune with Aether or something like that, and then your opponent will just attack and kill Nickel Bolas um, because you haven't been doing anything on the board and they have nine power. Uh, so I don't think he's atrocious but i don't think he's quite as savage as a marvel target as he could have been like if he had had a wrath on him for instance forget it like you know chandra sure yeah yeah, i agree with all of that um but there's a lot of flexibility there right i I think that the plus two is definitely the the less least exciting of the abilities because as you said the variance is very high so you can't really build your game plan around that so you have to ask yourself is knocking exiling two cards out of their hand good enough at that stage of the game 
Um, I think the fallback is that he goes down to three loyalty, right? So the question is, if you leave him at three, um, are the rest of your cards in your deck going to protect him? I think in the colors that he's in, you may just be looking at a different build of the deck um, where you're using things like Sweltering Suns and uh, the other card we're going to talk about shortly here, the Three Mana Wrath, um, with a bunch of Planeswalkers and then potentially just like keeping the board clear while they go to town. Because once he gets rolling, this finishes the game, right? Like the thing is that if they get, if yeah. they get, if they, if you're running red and you're running some burn, um, uh, or some, you know, uh, you're using your Planeswalkers with say Heart of Kieran to get it in the air. Um, once they're at seven, Nickel Bolas is just game over because his minus four can also do seven to an opponent. Mm-hmm. So, so you're not limited to killing a creature on the board. You might just be finishing the game, um, which is something sure. Ulamog, Ulamog doesn't do, right? He exiles two things. He's got a swing, and they can respond. Um, so if they're at seven or less, I mean, they basically start the game at 13 if, they, if you know Bolas is coming out. Um, you know, he's, is he Karn? I mean, compared to Karn Liberated, right? Karn comes in with six loyalty for seven. His plus four is target player exiles a card from his or her hand. Just one, not two. Um, but he goes up to 10 and if he gets to 14, then you get to restart the game with Karn in play. So it's basically two activations, uh, gets him to 14. And on the third turn that he's alive, he more or less wins the game. Um, and his minus three was exile target permanent, which is pretty, pretty simple. Puts him at three loyalty as well. Um, Bolas comes down from seven to three, um, and, and kills something. I, I mean, I think they're comparable, and Karn was very playable <laughs> in standard. Sure, and, I mean, really, the, the sticking point there would be the, the mana requirements, right? Whereas Karn was colorless, Nickel Bolas is sure. locking you into Grixis. Sure, but I mean, but maybe not, right? Like, depends on, on how the build yeah. tests out, but you could be just flipping them off Marvel. Yeah, I mean, he's doing, again, I want to stress, I think he's a really cool card, and I think he will see some play. Um, I suppose that, you know, from the Marvel perspective, and the reason I'm focusing on that is because that's sort of the the most interesting way at this point to look at him, is that, uh, you know, you play your four Ulamogs, and then you play two Nickel Bolses, you throw one Black Source in the deck, you already have Aether Hub, so sometimes you're just going to cast Nickel Bolas, which is going to be fine, and then other times when you miss on Ulamog, you will hit Nickel Bolas, who won't be as good, but will still be fine. Um, you know, he's only one more mana than Chandra, which I guess is okay. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Well, I mean, and, and Chandra's have been, Chandra Flame Callers have been very good. So if you're going Chandra Flame right. Caller, clear the board into Bolas, like that could be a real thing. Um, with sure. or without, with or without Marvel, right? Maybe you're just running yeah. Grixis yeah. Control. Um, and, and the thing is that the story beat cards, right? The cards that have been central characters in story, Ulamogs, Emrakuls, Liliana's, Gideon's, these have been the cards that have been dominating in standard over the last couple of years because that's intentional. They're doing that on purpose. Um, they want the story driven home by the best cards. They want you to buy sets based on these cards. Um, the art's great on this set. The foils are going to, I mean, on this card, the foils are going to look amazing. There's going to be a high casual demand for the card. And we're leading into a dragon focused EDH release later uh, in the fall um, where uh, this would slot in just from flavor, a flavor perspective. So I, I think that the, the, this card's going to be one of those forty to fifty dollars planeswalkers during pre-order season, um, and then the question is, how low does it drop before you cho- choose to get in for the long haul? Yeah, and also kind of amusing that Dark Intimations is completely garbage. Like we're like, oh, maybe this will do something cool. Nope, nope, doesn't do anything. If you it, the one extra loyalty is is, is irrelevant for the most part. Uh, although if you do have four Dark Intimations in your graveyard and an Oath of uh, Gideon, I think. 
you can't ultimate Nicol Bowles the turn you cast him. <laughs> you just have to work a little hard. Um, so, so Dark Animations doesn't do nothing because it, it, it means that he ultimates on the third turn like Karn does. Because he starts yeah. at 8, he goes up to 10, goes up to 12. On the third turn, you basically win the game. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, is it only exile? I mean, it's just a wrath. It's like his ultimate is a wrath. No, it's, it's all non-land permanence. So it's any of their like their uh, their vehicles, which is important because Mardu vehicles is still a thing. Um, any enchantments they have on the board, like white ones that have exiled things, all of that goes away. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's better than just like Wrath of God, right? Uh, but it's I don't know. It's a little mediocre, especially if you're doing it right away and you're losing your nickel bolus in order to do it because you're you know doing it at minus 12 but uh, sure okay so Sam, what about what, what, hold on hold on what about for okay. modern uh there's there right now is no grixis stock that wants to pay seven mana for anything right and then you also have to compare him to karn where he's and and ugin yeah yeah I, I i mean it would be cool to see him in modern but i'm not holding my breath no, I don't think so. I mean, given that we have a Grixis Death Shadow build that can win, like, pretty quick, yeah. uh, deciding to go Grixis Control. I mean, there are Grixis Control builds out there, but they're, it's not like they're they're doing as well as the Grixis Aggro. No, and you have the old Nickel Balls, too, which is arguably better. Um, mm, but he, ca- he costs eight. Um, yeah. He's harder to pay for. And basically sees no play. Yeah, right. So... Um, Fair enough. So tell me about the other one. Yeah, Samet, the tested. Uh, nice of Wizards to let us know which mythics they have tested and haven't tested. Mm-hmm. Uh, credit credit to Matt Sperling for that joke. Uh, stolen mercilessly. Um, I have not seen one person tell me they think this card is good. Uh, they really seem to be making mediocre red-green planeswalkers as fast as they can. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Just All right, but... Whatever. But I do want to play against the guy who's going to show up at FNM with his all planes, five color planeswalker deck, rainbow, uh, gatewatch, and go Oath of Nisa into some kind of ramp and then cast Samet, get her up, minus her, and then put Nicol Bolas into play with something other, some other nasty planeswalker like uh, Johnny or Chandra Flamecaller. Yeah. And the only way that's happening is if his opponent casts Bantu's Last Reckoning every other turn. Yeah. <laughs> which which is the other card we're going to talk about real quick it's the three mana wrath but lands you control don't untap during your next untap step so um wizards said no more four mana wraths turns out we can get three mana wraths um it's this is a little funky as i can't quite tell if this is worse early or late so if you cast this on turn let's see on the draw you cast this on turn three on turn four your three lands don't untap you play your fourth land it's essentially wasted you pass a turn. So basically casting this on three costs you four mana. Or you wait until like turn six. You pay three to cast the wrath. You have three more mana left, let's say, to cast a counter spell um, on your opponent's turn to stop whatever they do. But now the turn comes back to you. Well, all six of your lands are tapped. You know, you put in a seventh land, maybe you pass. So it costs you six or seven mana there. But it's a much later turn. So is it better to play this like, does this work better on turn three or four, where it's not costing you as much mana, but you're kind of giving your opponent those kind of more important mid-game turns where they're building their board? Or is it better way late in the game where it's tying up a lot more mana because of the, it taps all of your mana down, 
but your opponent's much lower on resources and you know can't recover as well. I'm not clear. In either way, I think people are definitely going to try it. Yeah, this card needs some testing because people are not in agreement about what what's up. Most of the spikes seem to think it's garbage. Um, I'll take them at their word, but I would test it anyway because um, I, I I understand that in a format where you have like Gideon and a bunch of vehicles, um, destroying all creatures isn't even necessarily clearing the board. Um, that no, might that might that might just kill the thing that was going to turn on Heart of Kieran and then they activate it with Gideon anyway and hit you upside the right. head while oh. you while you don't untap. That's garbage. Wrath away your three one and your Thraben tool inspector while you just Gideon token turn Heart of Kieran back on and swing for four more. <laughs> but I I believe in the Japanese, <laughs> and I believe that three mana Wraths can be broken in the right circumstances. That there are cards this card is going to interact with that aren't immediately jumping to mind that mitigate um, the fact that you're taking a turn off. I also think that in, in a format like Modern, there are certain decks that empty their hand really quick. Like a lot of the aggro decks, their whole game plan is to burn resources really fast and overwhelm you before you can stabilize. And being able to destroy all the merfolk or all the affinity cards... Um, or all the burn cards, or all of the, I forget what the deck's called, but the one that, like, plays a creature to play a creature to play a creature. Um, uh, In Modern? Yeah, you know the one that uh, makes a green and a red, and then you use that to cast the one that's one and a green? Oh, and Burning Tree Emissary. Yeah, that Burning Tree Emissary style deck. All those decks, like, vomit their hands on the board, right? Like, Affinity, I, I watched a, a stream uh, the other night where Affinity just had their whole hand on the board on turn one. Um now, they might have an Ink Moth Nexus or a Blink Moth Nexus left behind, but if you bond to use and take a turn off, who gives a shit? They just drew a nothing card after that. They drew a Signal Pest. Uh, or they got an Arcbound Ravager and your next play is Fatal Push. Like, this thing is, is not, uh, tempo positive, but it can be mana positive. Like, this can be this plus, like you said, the counter spell, um, or the, the kill spell that takes care of the next threat, and it's like you both took a turn off. Um, and because it can potentially go two for one, three for one, four for one, taking a turn off might be worth it. Um, you know, how, I guess what I'm saying is how many permanents is a turn worth is the question with this card that needs to be answered in the formats where it, it will be tested. It is definitely something different. Um, I agree. It'll be interesting. Uh, I have two words for you. As foretold. Sure. I mean, that's been talked about. And, and, and a wait, deck wait, wait, that I have, more, I have two more words for you. Early Harvest. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a three mana instant from ninth edition. Target player untaps all basic land they control. So there's your modern combo. Six mana, two cards for a wrath. <laughs> sure. Uh, it seems for profit crop fix. Seems fair when I could just cast uh, Damnation on four. I, I think the, it's more about a, a control build that where this card is valuable um it's winning the game it's 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 clearing the board and forcing them into a draw go style of play that the control deck's going to win um and because it only casts three it means that you might be able to counter or kill the next thing that comes down before you've tapped all your lands because this thing doesn't tap your lands and they don't untap it just says they don't untap so if you have six or seven or eight lands it's irrelevant that you don't untap your lands because you, you might only need them to, to counter or kill, and if that doesn't happen, they draw a land or whatever, or they draw something you don't need to deal with right away. You're going you're gonna to still have most of your land the next turn. Right, and, right, and, right. And, and, and you can also draw into, even in standard, you can draw into a land. Like, if you, if you cast this on four, 
with a land out. And then you don't untap three of them, but you untap one and another. You could cast a Heart of Kieran off that. You can cast a Fatal Push. You can you can cast a Transgress the Mind and and roll along. Like, it, it doesn't necessarily eliminate your next turn. Somebody said to me on Twitter that it automatically costs six, but that's not that's not true. If you didn't, if you were going to, because people are forgetting that in formats that aren't ultra tight, like standard, sometimes there's just a bunch of dead turns. Like I've watched a lot of this format and even in vehicles on vehicles, sometimes they're just drawing dead. I mean, 30, 34% of your deck or whatever is lands. So some of your turns don't count for anything anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's not very much difference between play a spell next and say both players have their hand are hell bent, right? And their hands are empty. Um, I rat the board and then draw into a land. It's the same. It's the same difference. Okay. Um, so also, I think it's a card to watch because if it's going to be under underrated, um, then and you test it and you determine it sucks, then you know you don't need to worry about it anymore. But if it doesn't suck and everybody else is underrating it, this is where money is made. Yep, yep, yep. You know, it's also worth remembering that this wasn't intended to be in standard with Gideon uh, and the rest of Battle for Zendikar. I don't know how much that matters because it was intended to be around for vehicles. Um, so, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All right, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, where can our listeners find you? Uh, over at my house, fondling the foil Russian Sahili ride that I opened in my Russian Kaladesh box. <laughs> uh, how nice for you. Uh, all right, so James lives somewhere in Toronto. There you go. That's all you guys get. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. Uh, and I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I write every Monday at MTGPrice.com. I also am on Cartel Aristocrats on Mondays. And if you enjoy playing Magic, check out Scry.Land. Find Magic in your area. I have a hot new idea for Scry.Land that I'm going to tell you for the first time here live on the cast. I can't wait. Uh, you let all of the backpack grinders and MTG finance types set up a little flag as to where they are in the world on Scry.Land so that when people are searching for tournaments, they can also see where they might be able to sell collections. <laughs> as somebody who has lamented in the past that I wish I could hang a sign outside the door on my house that says I buy magic collections <laughs> because of the stories I hear of what walks into our local stores. That is a, uh, a interesting suggestion it's for sweet. sure. <laughs> it's sweet. I will right? have to, uh, I'll have to pass that over I, to, uh, to my programmer. And I think you guys could even charge for it. Like, I think I would pay for it. Wouldn't you? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's one of those, like, okay, well, if I'm paying X dollars a month and it's making me this month, then, yeah, it's absolutely worth it. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Not a bad that's thought. Not a bad my, thought. My gift to you. So I'd also, like to <laughs> remind nice our, <laughs> I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com pro trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Um, I'd also like to point uh, out that our just our picks in the last six weeks, people easily pay for this. So if you're on the fence, just jump in and get the jump on everybody else. We'll make you yeah, money, no I kidding. promise. Yeah, I, by next week, those uh, Duskwatch recruiters will have paid for the year. Yep. Um, all right. Well, thanks, James. I had a great time. Good cast. And I will see you next week. Thank you, Traps. And we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.
Mm-hmm.